Amen. Genesis chapter 32. So you may recall that as we were most recently examining Jacob, uh, he had been with his uncle Laban, and that so-called you know work arrangement as he had uh, worked in order to receive Rachel really but Laban tricks him into marrying the older uh, daughter Leah and then he ends up <coughs> receiving Rachel also after another seven-year period he works for Laban to care for Laban's flocks and the conflict grows until he has to just leave abruptly. And they have that encounter where they make the agreement at the specific location where they set up the stone and declare the Mizpah of how I'm not going to pass past this location toward you and you don't pass past this location toward me. God will judge between us on pain of death if either one of us crosses over this line. So that very uncomfortable circumstance has just passed. And in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 32, it says, So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. So you read it, and it's sort of like astonishing, and the scripture just keeps right on moving. You know, if you were in a place where you realized that you were with angels, probably be the type of thing where you'd never want to leave. You'd have such an experience there. And yet, the scripture tells us very plainly that we want to be careful when we entertain strangers because we may be entertaining angels unaware of it. So there's a normalcy to angels, you know. I mean, if you're thinking right now, well, if I saw an angel, I would know. You know, they'd have a white robe, they'd have wings, be easy to tell. Apparently, you know, they wear the current fashion of the day. For real. I mean, there's nothing here about even their attire that's described. And if they're telling us in the scripture that we wouldn't be aware, right? I mean, if you are, you know, inviting a stranger over for dinner and he's wearing a, you know, full-length robe to the floor and sandals, that's going to be out of the ordinary. If he's wearing jeans and a t-shirt, you'll think he's just one of the crowd. I don't know how this works, but the scripture declares something. Many, I would encourage you, if you get an opportunity, read Billy Graham's book on angels. Really remarkable explanation from the scripture as to who they are and what they do. It's God's secret service, you guys. Really pretty neat. Cool agents of God. So, you know, a couple supporting passages. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. Jesus speaking said, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. That and several other passages give us the understanding that we literally have guardian angels. It isn't, you know, just sort of a church belief system. This is church Christian doctrine based on the Scripture. You know, consider Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. You think of the passage you know, in Hebrews that describes them as fellow servants, ministers of the Lord, who minister to us. God's message, his gospel. So, you know, it, it is remarkable that in the midst of this, Jacob suddenly understands that the angels are with him. I think that the better aspect is that we would come to understand the angels of the Lord are with us. 
It's, it's not just you know those that are extremely significant in the history of the faith or things of that nature. The Lord is tending to our needs. Now, I, one of the things that I've come to realize in this is, you know, I have a mindset of, well, then why aren't things going better? You know, they're, if they're here, why the struggle? And what I recognize is, you know, as much as they are probably cooperating with the Lord, I struggle to cooperate with the Lord. They do not. So really, who's the one inhibiting the circumstance? Me. Our cooperation with the Lord. So this statement of Mahanaim, two camps, is what it means. He stopped to set up his camp, and they are encamped there. The realization of, hey, I'm camping with angels. That is really quite a remarkable thing to consider. I wonder how often you know, we don't realize what it is that's going on in our environment. I've had many occasions where I complained because I was being delayed. I wanted to go somewhere, wanted to you know, get to a location, an event, a, a meeting. And who knows what we missed, what tragedy God prevented. You know, I mean, by now you've had the experience where somebody headed the other direction and traffic drifted into your lane. And as they went by, you realized they're texting. You know, I had two occasions uh, a couple years ago now uh, leaving the church was one of them, and uh, down in front of the Good News Center, uh, a pickup truck came full across, suddenly lurched full across the center lane. I went into the grass in the ditch, and I, they, I looked up in the rear view, and they were still in my lane, crossing back up. They oblivious to the fact they just drove me off the road. You know, how many times has the Lord just kept us from being in certain we have no idea it's you know those occasions where we can talk about it like oh this terrible thing happened and i really think this was the lord working in my environment how about all the ones we don't know anything about you know, he's come to the realization i'm encamped with angels i hope this morning maybe you're coming to the realization we are encamped with angels here now at home as we go through our day they are sent to minister to us from the Lord. It's a great comfort if you can wrap your mind around it. 32.3, Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. You'll recall that their relationship is so broken because of Jacob's manipulation that when they were last together, and separating from one another, Esau literally said, I'm going to kill you once my father dies, once our father dies. I'm going to put you to death. Their animosity, or at least Esau's animosity towards Jacob was murderous. So now he's gone from Laban into he has to deal with Esau. He doesn't have a choice in the circumstances. Remember that the Lord has told him, I want you to return to your home, to your family, and to your family's land, and I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to bless you. So he's moving forward with that in mind. He commanded them saying, speak thus, notice this, to my Lord Esau. You're going to see many things in this passage where Jacob is indicating I am um, submissive and under the authority of Esau. I'm not trying to lord over him. God has given him that position of authority over Esau. God has said Esau is going to serve you. The older will serve the younger. It's not the approach he's taking. You know, I was having a conversation with Oliver the other night in I was describing how years ago uh, I was I was in an argument and uh, my pastor was there and I was I was right the person I was dealing with was wrong and I'm, I don't I mean I can be very arrogant but I'm not saying that I was right they were wrong 
They're not willing to let go of their position. I'm not willing to let go of my position. And I have stood my ground verbally on this for some time. And he leans over and quietly says to me, you know, Will, there are more important things than being right. And in the moment, it was news to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, really? You know, I, and I had, I had to meditate on that for a long time to come to the realization that there are more important things than being right. You know, and in that I discovered my pride, in that I discovered a whole bunch of things I was unaware of in myself. I think Jacob's been through something like that. Because he's come to the place where you're going to see, this, this might sound like he's trying to be a salesman, but you're going to see in his behavior throughout this whole process that what he just said, you know, speak thus to my Lord Esau is actually in his person. This is, this is not a game he's playing. It's not a sales pitch that he's putting on. It's truly his mindset. He's done with the mentality of, that guy's going to serve me. Why? Because God said so. He, he's not there anymore. That whole thing has been removed from him. Speak thus to my Lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. All of that message is to be delivered to Esau. And, and behind that is a very thick layer of I'm not coming back here to claim anything for myself. I'm not coming back to say the birthright and the blessing are mine, the land, the possessions, the flocks. I'm not here to collect on anything. I have the provision of the Lord in my life, and I'm not here to take anything from you. I'm going to trust what the Lord has given me in humility. My Lord, Esau. Verse 6. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you. Well, that, that is you know, perhaps good, except and 400 men are with him. He has a small army with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that were with him, and the flocks, and the herds and camels into two companies. Now, what we begin to see Jacob do, <clears throat> you could have an opinion on either side of this that was very, very complex. Is this Jacob continuing with his manipulative behavior, or is this something that the Lord in his infinite wisdom, has told him to do. I honestly don't know. You're going to have to sort through your own understanding of what we're about to read and the condition of your own heart. Maybe it's you know, great portions of both things. You've got to look at what transpires and then look at the outcome. So he was greatly af afraid and he divides everybody into two companies. He said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. They're going to run. Now here's the thing. <clears throat> I will say within this that he postures himself in the ejection seat. If there's going to be a problem, he's in the position to escape. So he's lining everything up in front of him so that if it becomes necessary, he can turn on his heels and run. He can just get away from the situation. So not to spoil the story, but for those of you that know the story, right? There'll be no running when it's done, right? He's, he's setting himself up for the escape, setting himself up for the sprint to freedom 
And that's going to be taken away from him too. So, here he is in the circumstance, verse 9. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, the Lord, note this, who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. Remember what you said, God? There's 400 men that are on their way. I think they're going to attack me. You told me to come back here, and you said it was going to be well with me. You know, not trying to hold you to your word, or but you did say these things. And you're God, and you can't lie, and so I'm just making sure we're on the same page. So is this really what's going on? There's something within that. If God has spoken to your heart, if you've prayed and read the word, and there the Lord ministered to you, gave you a promise, pointed something out to you, cling to that. Cling to it. It is an unstable man, the book of James tells us, that will ask of God and then doubt him. He'll answer you plainly if you'll ask. But if you're going to be a person who asks and then doubts, James said you're like the waves of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, up and down, back and forth. We want to have that, our yes being yes and our no being no, following the Lord as he says. Ten, the humility comes forward again. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I've become two companies. When I left town, my only possession was a stick. That's what I had. And now I'm coming back, and I'm so wealthy that I have two large parties of family and livestock, servants and wealth that I have been blessed with. Verse 11, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother of the children. I like the honesty within Jacob's prayer. One, I like the fact that he's looking to the only possibility for hope that he has, God. In the past, It was all manipulation. It was all his workings and what he could come up with. Now, that's been largely drained from his life. And he's in a place of humility, calling out to the one help and resource that is trustworthy. God alone. And he's honest. I fear him. I'm afraid of my circumstances. You know, the stiff upper lip goes a long way. But in the end, if your heart's melting, then that's really fake, isn't it? You know, we can insist, I believe, I trust, when in our heart is fear and doubt and torment. Honesty, contrite heart, the Lord is blessed by it. Look at verse 12. For you said, here he is again, just going on your word, Lord. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude you said this family was going to grow and flourish and become you know innumerable so if we get wiped out here in the moment uh, that goes against what you said there's something about this you guys <clears throat> honestly i appreciate jacob saying it for the record and for all of us to read but there's something about knowing what God has said from His Word and to you personally, and just reassuring yourself of that. Wait a second. My heart's full of doubt. But I know what God has said. And I remember, this is why journaling, I mean, I've promoted that many, many times. Write down the things that the Lord has said. Keep a record of it, right? If any of you have done that, you can testify. You sort of forget. It's not until you get back in that thing, you know, six months, a year ago, two years ago, you know, five years back, you got to get one of the old journals out and review, and you're like, oh my goodness. Look at what I prayed. Look at what the Lord asked. Look where I am today. 
Look at his faithfulness. Remembering the things, remembering the passages, remembering the verses, remembering where you were, who said something to you, the way it changed your life. That's what Jacob is doing right now. He's recounting the conversations and the promises that have come from God. Verse 13, so he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau his brother, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove to or by itself, and said to the servants, Pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. So the goats and the rams and the camels and the cows and the donkeys, you know, separate each of these so that each, you know, species is traveling as its own party so that it's going to come to Esau. So they, they know, right? Servants went out, servants came back, Esau's on his way, so that now. Jacob is setting this up for a head-on collision. I mean, if you think about Jacob's behavior, it might be the sort of thing like, we should send one party that way, and the other party should like go this way in single file, so they can't tell how many, you know what I'm saying, just whatever you know, element of deception he could put together to get away. Instead, you know what? Let's go straight at the problem. Let's go right towards Esau. And now he sets these up so... Esau is going to be receiving these very substantial gifts one after another. You know, his mindset, you know, even if he's angry and deals harshly with the first one, by the time we get to the third one, maybe he'll be calming down. Maybe he'll be, you know, appeased by this. I want you to take these things, you know, in successive droves. Commanded the first one saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, to whom do these belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you, the animals? Then you shall say, quote, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. So imagine that. That's the message that's going to come with each one. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the presence of or the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face, perhaps he will accept me. He doesn't have the assurance. This is his mindset. This is his hope of what the outcome will be. So the present went on before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. Now, this next portion beginning in verse 22 is very significant spiritual doctrine that is relayed to us where it says and he arose that night and took his two wives his two female servants and his 11 sons crossed over the ford of jabok he took them sent them over the brook and sent over what he had then jacob was left alone so you know there's lots of speculation about you know was he trying to leave himself in a place where he could just run away? Is he you know, just trying to have the night alone so that he doesn't have all of the clamor? He's you know, under so much pressure. I, I don't know about you. I don't know what was going on with Jacob, but sometimes when you're coming to something that's so stressful, you're not dealing with the basic things that are in your environment well. You know, you got something that's so overwhelming that, you know, just the kids 
kind of squawking could drive you up a wall. So perhaps it's just sort of natural human nature of, you know what, I'm going to meet Esau tomorrow. i got to have my head screwed on straight. I'm just going to have the camp, you know family camp on the other side. I'm going to spend the night alone here. You know, and now if we said that he intended to just spend the night seeking the Lord, he ends up seeking the Lord all night for sure. As things unfold, it says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now we're going to see that this is actually the Lord. The Lord has arrived in his environment, and he's wrestling with him now. It's very important to understand. Jacob has been wrestling with the Lord all of his life. Now it's just become a reality to him. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. I think most of us can relate to that. That the things we have resisted God on, that the things we've wrestled with, uh, we come to the place thinking, it's just the way people deal with me. It's that person. It's this person. It's these circumstances. It's, and then we come down to, I'm the common denominator in all of these circumstances. I'm the one who's doing the wrestling. I'm the one who's having these conflicts. He wrestled the man until the break of day. And when he saw that he did not prevail against him, you might want to underline that, he touched, notice the capital H, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. I have never dislocated a joint. I have seen a dislocated shoulder, elbow, wrist, finger, and ankle, all on different people. It's horrendous. It's a horrendous pain. It's a horrendous thing. To see. I cannot imagine having the hip fully out of socket. That, that must be an unbearable thing to experience. And yet he continues to wrestle. Verse 26, he, capital H, said, let me go for the day breaks. But he, small h, Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now some clarification here. Okay, There's some misunderstanding when people calculate through this passage. A proof text as to what's going on here. Hosea the prophet, chapter 12, gave us some commentary. Verse 3, he said, He took his brother by the heel in the womb. This is speaking of Jacob. That's why his name was Jacob, heel catcher. And in his strength, he struggled with God. Verse 4, yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. When you read, he wept and sought favor from him. The way that the Hebrew language is constructed is telling us that was what it means when it says he prevailed. He didn't win the wrestling match. He won in the weeping. He won in the crying. He won. He prevailed as he wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel, the house of God. And there he spoke to us. That is the Lord God of hosts. The Lord is his memorable name. So we get the commentary of two parts. One, Jacob won when he wept. That's the first portion of the commentary. The second is, Hosea tells us the one he wrestled without, without question was the Lord. That was his name. Because in this passage, we're kind of left wondering, there's no direct explanation. The prophet Hosea tells us, no, it was the Lord. And notice in verse 5 of Hosea 12, it's all capitals, L-O-R-D. That's the name of God. Okay, That's Yahweh, God the Father. Some would say Jehovah. He wrestled with God. He was defeated in the circumstance 
And that's actually how he won. In the recognition that he was defeated. I hope you can get the understanding and application. The place where you're going to succeed is in being defeated by God. As long as you are trying to prevail, you're going to be the one who loses. So, verse 27, Genesis 32, He said to him, What is your name? This is God speaking to Jacob. He said, Jacob. That's an unfortunate thing to have to admit, right? Because it means someone who comes from behind and grabs the heel of another, causing them to trip. He causes stumbling by grabbing the heel. That's literally what his name means. You know, if if you had to introduce yourself or others introduced you as, you know, hey, have you met the one who causes people to trip? Have you met the, you know, have you met the one who causes people to stumble, right? <laughs> you don't want that on your business card, you know? Here I am, successful business. My name, the one who causes people to stumble. What's your name? The one who causes people to stumble. I was in the Bible study at Hancock County Jail this past week, and we were talking about some of this in our study and one of the guys said man I'd give anything to change my name well that was like a softball I just drilled that one out of the park as hard as I could you can have a new name you can be born again you can be a different person when you surrender to God when you cry out in your defeat look at verse 28 he said you, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, literally governed by God. Okay, that's, that's what that name means. You're not going to be heel catcher. You're not going to be the one who causes people to stumble. You're going to be governed by God. That's a wonderful thought, to become a person... <laughs> who is truly governed by God and is known that way. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And I just want to say again, Hosea is telling us clearly, the prevailing was in crying out for help. 29. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which is face of God. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Now, very clearly, the scripture says, no one has seen God at any time. Okay? John chapter 1, verse 18 gives us the insight. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, has declared Him to us, shown Him to us. We have seen God by seeing Jesus. We have not seen God the Father. We have not seen the Holy Spirit. Okay? Those things have not been visible to us. And therein is the impossibility. <laughs> you know, if we say we are a triune being, right? Um, we are body, soul, and spirit. And there are a few different ways of looking at that. <clears throat> and I don't want to create an understanding of God that's inaccurate. You know, we are created in His image. Um, the best way that we could understand this is the idea of a mirror. That when you stand in front of the mirror, that's an image of yourself. So we are a reflection 
of God. But it isn't to say that we are created like Him. Okay, When He is, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to then make that direct translation and say we are body, soul, and spirit, that, that's like saying the mirror is an exact representation of me because it's not. Okay, It, it reflects me. It reflects you. You can, you can gain a very detailed understanding of the personage, but there's a great deal in a reflection that is not there, right? You know, you take a photograph of somebody, their soul is not contained in the photograph. You know, your personality is not <clears throat> contained in the reflection. I dwell on it for a minute because, you know, <clears throat> the idea that you could ever see my soul, the idea that you could ever see my spirit, and, and within that, right, uh, you can't even really know my thoughts. I mean, as much as you get to know me, you know, if you hung out with me every day, you would, you know, be able to, you know, understand me really well. If somebody came and described to you, you know, Will Cass uh, did something that was out of character for me, you could say, no, that didn't happen. I know Will. You could know me very well, but at the same time, for you to speak of what is in my mind, what is in, that's impossible. We, we can't know Yahweh. We can't know him with that perfection. Jesus has revealed him to us. The more you are with Jesus, the more you will know God. And here, this is what some theologians refer to as a theophany. Others, I agree with a little better, is in that it's a Christophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. It is my opinion that Jacob has been wrestling with Jesus. That Jesus is here in this moment, and that is why he doesn't reveal his name so specifically. But again, Hosea gives us that understanding that it was the Lord God of hosts that he wrestled with. So, verse 31, Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. So this tradition emerges from that. We'll get through 33, verse 1. It says, <clears throat> Now <clears throat> Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, Rachel and Joseph last. It's uh, an unfortunate thing, but you're still seeing Jacob's favoritism. If it's going to go bad, let it be with them so that I can see it and I have an opportunity to react back here. Rather than, you know, if you think about this, you guys, if you think about it, the noble thing to do without any cowardice would have been to put that which is most precious at the very opposite end and to put yourself at the front and to go meet the problem head on. And instead, he puts himself in the safest position. His behavior, his character, is still something that he's dealing with. <coughs> he put the maidservants and their children in the front. Children, Rachel behind, Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them, bowed himself to the ground seven times. Now, this, in this culture is recorded in several ancient writings regarding the proper forum for greeting a king. So no matter who you are, if you're being presented to nobility in this ancient culture, at a great distance, you bow yourself to the ground, and you rise, and you take a few steps, and you bow yourself to the ground, and you rise and take a few steps, and you bow yourself to the ground. You're showing 
that you are demonstrating, I do not deserve to be in your presence. You're the king. You're the authority. You're the leader. I'm in submission to you. At any point, if I bow down as I rise, you could deny my entrance and say, go away. That's the idea of taking these seven opportunities until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. He lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? He said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Now he is even making this confession with his own mouth, right? He doesn't say, He's accepted me. There's no shift in his attitude, no shift. He holds the humility. That's a really wonderful thing to see have happened in Jacob's life. The Lord has been working on Esau's heart, huh? I don't think these gifts have done it. I don't think that all of Jacob's preparation is what brings Esau to this point. I think the same way that Jacob has been growing and maturing, Esau has been also. Now you come to this place, I'm your servant. Then he, then the maidservants <laughs> came near, they and their children, and bowed down. So he's gotten this message across to his family very accurately. They're all showing this submission. Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? He said, These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. So he's even honest about his own appeal to Esau. He's not trying to hide that. But Esau said, I have enough. You might want to underline that word. Somewhere around it, write the word plenty, which is what it means. I have plenty my brother, keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand, inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I have seen the face of God and you were pleased with me. Okay, so just quick question. When do we see the face of God? When we die, right? What was their last conversation? I see you again. I'm going to kill you. That was what he was thinking. So in his mind, I was as good as dead when I was coming to greet you. And I arrive, and you show me that you love me. So I've passed through that firestorm. Verse 11, please take my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me. Notice this. Now his shift, his, his focus shifts to his relationship with God. In the discussion with Esau, he isn't concentrating on the possessions. What was the whole friction between Esau and Jacob when they left? The possessions. Now he's not concentrating on the possessions. He's concentrating on the relationship with God. God has dealt graciously with me. And because I have enough, might want to underline that one, and somewhere near it right everything because those are the two words that are used here in the hebrew language esau says i have plenty jacob says in my relationship with god i have everything i think that's a fairly fresh understanding for him you know what i mean i think he's been coming to that realization but i think it was in the wrestling and in the crippling and in the understanding of the name change that he now realizes, I have everything. I was a heel catcher, and now I'm governed by God. I have everything. So he urged him, and he took it. And Esau said, let us take our journey. Let us go, and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are weak, and the flocks and herds which are nursing with them. 
And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. He, he is a good herdsman. And so we don't have a lot of reason to think that's not true. 14. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. I will lead on slowly. I'm limping now at a pace which the livestock, uh, with the livestock that will go before me, the children, are able to endure until I come to my Lord in seer. I think that's a lie. I do. I think you're seeing Jacob's old nature spring back up quite quickly. I can't give an absolute verification to that. He doesn't go to seer, is my point. The fact that he's saying it and he's making cause for delay, I think he's got a plan in mind. I think that what is about to transpire, he's already aiming toward. Esau said, now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. And he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth. He immediately diverts from Seir. One, one period, one verse change, and the man has moved on. Now, look, if you're thinking, no big deal. I mean, Esau and him have patched up. How much trouble could this create? It creates massive problems. Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house. He's not staying for a short period of time and made booths for his livestock, so temporary dwellings. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth, which means booths. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem. Shechem is going to be a big problem, which is in the land of Canaan. Then he came to Paden Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought the parcel of land which he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi, Israel. El is the God of Israel, is basically what I mean. He's Israel, right? So El, El Shaddai, you know, God is my God. Right? Governed by Israel? That's uh, debatable. Debatable. God told him he was supposed to return to the land of your family. Genesis chapter 31, verse 13. I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, go out of this land and return to the land of your family. He's not in the land of his family. He didn't fully obey God. You know, El Elohi, Israel. You know, El is the God of Israel. That's, again, it's debatable. Remember the circumstance with Saul going to go and attack the enemies of Israel and wipe them out utterly, utterly as the Lord had commanded, and instead he just kills the army that would oppose him, and he takes all of the beautiful women for himself, and he takes all of those that are successful in business, and he takes all of the cattle, and he's returning. He was supposed to wipe out everything, including their livestock, and he's returning with all of that in his hand. Now, now keep in mind, you guys, because he does not do this, right? And most of you are aware of the story of Esther, right? The, the, the man who's trying to kill the entire nation of Israel in the story of Esther is a descendant of the king who Saul did not kill on that occasion. Over and over again, because of the compromise, Saul loses his life later because he did not accomplish the work of the Lord completely. Samuel, the prophet, comes and meets him and rebukes him for the fact that you did not do what the Lord commanded you. you know, Saul's trying to act like, oh, I've saved all of these things as offerings for the Lord. I was supposed to wipe them out utterly, kill every everyone and everything, but I decided on my own I would give these as an offering 
to the Lord. That's where the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 15 verse 22 said, Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Bluntly stated, God is not interested in our sacrifice. He's interested in our obedience. And here, like I said, this may seem like a small thing that he's gone to Shechem in this way, but his family is going to pay a heavy price for this disobedience. His daughter is going to be raped. His sons are going to murder a whole tribe of people. There's going to be a great cloud of judgment that comes upon their family because of this, because of a simple compromise. You know, I think we can all recognize that. Things we thought, this is, you know, yes, I got this pain in my heart telling me not to, but it's a small thing. And then it comes to fruition and we realize this is massive. So much better, right, <laughs> to learn from a life like Jacob what not to do, especially when you can see the parallels of our own behavior following it. At some point it needs to become where I don't do this anymore. I have to truly become Israel. Go governed by God. Rather than my emotions or my circumstances or my own desires. I am instead governed by the will of God. Let the ex example stand in your heart. Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. <coughs> Father God, we are so grateful for your word and its example and message to us. Help us to be men and women who submit to it. Fill us with the strength of your Holy Spirit that we would be capable of submitting to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.